0: Hello there, Editing Jacob here. When we were recording this episode, we had some trouble with our connection. It kept falling out. And as a result, I had to do quite a bit of editing in order to piece this episode together. If there are places where you find some strange disjointed cuts or places where we sound a bit confused, it's because we kept losing connection with each other. But I hope you'll still enjoy the episode. Constantinople has fallen, and all across Europe, ancient vampires known as Methuselah rise to claim vast territories as their own. This is the War of Princes, where the political maneuvering of old stands side by side with the armies of ghouls and canines clashing in the night, but vampires are not the only ones making this land their own. In the wild places, the guru have their cairns, Mages have ancient sites of power for magic, the shadow inquisition has risen to eradicate the enemies of god, and the enigmatic fey have their own plans. Welcome. To the Dark Ages Greetings dear listeners and welcome to episode 13 of season 2 of the World of Dark Ages podcast going through the second edition of the Dark Ages setting. My name is Jacob and I'm Peter. Uh, we have ourselves a new patron on Patreon so welcome to Kyle Rovergook who I assume is a fan of the Pathfinder setting with that username. Uh, <laughs> so Peter, happy Sweden day or something right? Yeah, happy National Day. Uh, we're recording this on the
1: 6th of June, which uh, is also the big uh, invasion of fascist uh, German-occupied Europe uh, for, for those of the more uh, ang- Anglo-Frankish inclined. Um, but, but yeah, uh, we, we we don't really celebrate this, so it feels... Uh, but, but the reason we, we have our National Day on the 6th, 6th of June... Basically, comes back to us kicking out the Danes in the fifteen hundreds. Oh, uh,
0: what 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 were we doing?
1: <laughs> uh, well, there there was this little thing called the bloodbath of Stockholm, where where uh, Christian, one of your one of your Christian kings called Christian, uh, chopped off the heads of a bunch of our nobility, uh, and and the sur- survivors didn't like it. So, uh, yeah. The the usual story between Sweden and Denmark, basically.
0: <laughs> yeah. We, we How's had a your war. day? <laughs> <laughs> well, today was a very relaxing day, but uh, this this weekend, this past weekend, since we're recording on a Monday, has been really great because we've had the Copenhagen medieval market. So mm. Friday, I went there as a work thing because they have this really great thing, a medieval market. It uh, for our American listeners, think Ren Faire only uh, a little a little more focused on actually trying to be just a little bit historically accurate not that there's anything wrong with what I've seen from rent fairs but yeah and I, a, I think a lot it's of
1: more like their colonial thing is that they have when they kind of reenact or show off
0: like they have what's it called colonial Williamsburg is that one of oh those? something like that yeah, yeah. exactly but anyway on, on Fridays they have this thing where schools and other children's institutions can get in for free so I socialism went <laughs> exactly and I went there with a bunch of other pedagogues and some teachers and two second grade classes, which is like eight to nine year old year olds, and it was really really cool. And the great thing is that when you get in for free like that, you get this bracelet that gets you in for free the entire weekend. So I went there with uh, with my family on um, on Sunday, and obviously I ended up buying a sword because I cannot be left unsupervised in. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say it was very very, and very and cheap 300 yeah, being your, your, holder, your wife your wife actually left you unsupervised oh no no I, I i bought this when they were when i was there with the kids ah okay <laughs> yeah, I, but it's I see. uh its <laughs> It's, it's not a um, a medieval sword, so uh, so it doesn't really fit uh, our podcast, mm. unfortunately. But it was still very, very nice and very, very cheap. And with that, we are continuing with Dark Ages Werewolf, finishing off the second half of the book. Mm. And the art continues to be of a general good quality, with the chapter dividers being absolutely gorgeous. Although the historical accuracy drops somewhat... Uh, the divider between chapter 5 and 6 has plate armor and a two-handed sword. And I kind of want to know what the silent strider on page 219 is smoking in his pipe. Yeah, it's well, there were things that
1: were smoked, uh, but I don't think they had pipes like this. Uh, I'm I'm more annoyed by the fingerless gloves on <laughs> on page, uh, what is it, 108, 109 between chapters 3 and 4. Because, like people wore gloves back then but i've I haven't I've never seen a fingerless glove uh, especially not the ones that had like reinforcements over the knuckles uh, as as a modern wrestler would or or professional face puncher would have but yeah it, it just looks weird especially considering that there aren't really or there weren't fingerless gloves but there is an instance of of gloveless fingers in the form of uh, Archer I, I think they're actually called archer's gloves, but basically just uh, it, it's just a pair of, of leather fingers that you wear over your um, your draw fingers on on your drawing hand uh, to to protect against chafing from the bowstring uh, So yeah you could almost say that they're completely opposite of right when they give someone fingerless gloves in this occasion.
0: Well the thing is why why would you have? fingerless gloves because like you said they're used reinforced fingerless gloves are used by mma fighters because they need to punch and grapple but in the medieval times you wore gloves because it was cold and when it was hot enough that you didn't wear gloves you didn't wear gloves and i'm i'm i don't know if there were any time where you would need the kind of manual dexterity that comes with with taking off the fingers but still wanted to keep the the hand warm but yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly and and of course you would wear gloves for protection like for instance in battle but then then you would probably want to to keep the whole fingers uh covered but but yeah it's it, it looks cool in this sort of fantasy action picture so yeah that's that's
0: probably it uh, so we start with chapter four which details the gifts and rights of the guru Starting with the gifts, I have always been quite a fan of the guru having to learn gifts from a spirit. This makes learning these supernatural powers a bit more of a story. Now, obviously, we can't go into detail with every one of the gifts, but I will say, I think they've done an excellent job tailoring them uh, to the historical settings. I have a few I want to touch on, but are there any that you want to uh, to talk about? Yeah, there there the are a few. Uh,
1: first of all, I, I like the whole idea of, of the gifts, as you said, and... and there, there are some nice touches like in certain occasions. It, it usually takes a month to learn a gift, and of course, a lot of the things in in the whole game is gonna be connected uh, in one way or the other to to the moon and the lunar cycle. Um, and th- there are there are some gifts though that uh, doesn't they they do make sense, but I don't know how how kind of of. Um, useful, they would be like, for example, you have uh, one that is called Sense Silver, which like if you're in a city, <laughs> you're especially in a in a commercial city, you're you're probably like that radar is gonna ping all the time because uh, commerce back in this time, yeah, there were there were gold pieces and there were copper pieces, but the most common coin of of currency was silver because gold coins were basically worth too much and and copper coins weren't like if if you want to trade in in any kind of of number if you want to carry currency around with you that is going to be useful you you probably don't like in in a modern setting you probably don't go around with just hundred dollar bills or or nickels you want the thing in between like maybe a few coins but also a few 5 5 dollar notes and stuff like that and and gold coins would be more the equivalent of of $1000 bills uh, and uh, and the copper coins would be yeah roughly the equivalent of of coins but if you actually want to buy something you're probably going to annoy the hell out of the the merchant if you want to pay for it with, with just copper yeah, coins. Yeah, I don't, I don't
0: think people realize just how valuable gold was. Gold coins disappeared yeah. with the fall of the Western Roman Empire. They disappeared in the West. And by this time in the 1230s, they're only just starting to get back. And in fact, most of the gold coins in Europe at this time weren't from Europe. I believe it was florence that had just started to mint gold coins and when you're talking about a king's ransom i think people a lot of people who have who've been introduced to um gaming via say dungeons and dragons they have a strange attitude toward gold coins but if you're talking about a king's ransom you could literally carry a king's ransom in a large bag if you had it in gold coins they were worth that much yeah, yeah. Like gold was
1: very valuable, as you mentioned, and uh, just going on a, uh, on a tangent to show how how little copper coins could could be worth, um, especially de- depending on inflation. Uh, in in the seventeen hundreds in Sweden, uh, the Swedish currency basically it, it bombed. Uh, to the level that uh, two two interesting things happened. Uh, the first was that Sweden started using paper currency because d- they didn't really have a choice because a coin was supposed to be worth, um, like a, a one kroner coin was supposed to be as much valuable metal as you could get... Uh, for 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 uh, for for one kroner or, or or the other way around that that um, the the amount of of uh, silver or copper usually in a coin uh, had to increase to reflect the dropping value of um, of of the currency so you would have like these emergency coins. I think the heaviest ones were like 17 kilos, <laughs> which is almost yeah, it's it's like 40 pounds. So that's the reason you couldn't carry those around. So you 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 started using paper notes, and there weren't really silver notes around because we had run more or less run out of silver, uh, and and so uh, so I had to make bigger copper coins. Uh, and an interesting thing is that for for quite some time, the easiest way to find these emergency coins. Uh, was to like later on in the later centuries when when historians started looking for them uh, was to go and find ships uh, because later on they were they were sold as ballast <laughs> so you would you would have like the the, uh, the entire ballast filled with uh, with coins and and yeah I, I mixed up the, the thing with the value. Uh, but you, you can google it but just yeah you had to have bigger and bigger coins to to reflect the the actual value of it. Uh, so so yeah, most people would would run around with coins, which means that if you had the gift sense silver, uh, you would probably be have some kind of sensor overload, overload depending on where you are. Um, but but yeah, the, I I like this system of the gifts. Uh, I like the fact that uh, they're divided between uh, the different uh, breeds. So if you're a, a, a hominid, homid, you have different gifts here. If you're a lupus. You have other gifts, and, and there are also different gifts depending on which tribe you are and uh, what moon phase you are. Uh, so there are a lot of, of combinations that you can mix and match. Uh, some of the gifts are, are the same. Uh, kind of like, uh, or, or depending, you, you find them in different situations. So so it's uh, you, you can get the same combinations, but it's still enough to to basically play around with for for quite some time. One of my favorite gifts is is one called false comfort, which uh, it it, it has an interesting uh, rule because it says that uh, you you basically can ignore uh, the technology of humanity that that humans have created. Uh, and, And that's the kind of false comfort that humans get. That, yeah, I have an armor, I have weapons, and that will keep me safe. Um, and, and it says, uh, it, it could probably be kind of uh, abused because it says that uh, you, you spend some gnosis, which is the kind of power you need to spend, and then for one turn per success, you also need to do a roll. The guru is completely unaffected by human technology unless he chooses mm. to be. Uh, the character can see, walk, or reach through anything crafted by humanity, including walls, armor, armor, and other Yeah, clothing. I love that one with the walls. Uh, yeah, and and I'm thinking like roads or or weapons because not only can you can you ignore the the armor of someone else, but you should be able to be unaffected by by human technology. So if someone if someone like if if a modern werewolf could have that, they would literally be able to ignore a nuclear bomb. Yeah,
0: yeah it, it it's one that I think fits this setting and would be. Vastly overpowered in a modern setting, and that's what I mean by yeah. they, they've done some work tailoring it to to the setting. Another good example is the gift Reynard's Lie, which is taught by a fox spirit. I, I think this is really cool because the tales of Reynard the fox, they date back to the 12th century. Mm. So you, you have yeah. period stories for, for inspiration. There's also a Black Fury gift called Manskin, where the user, when using the gift, appears masculine, which can obviously be quite useful at times in the medieval world. And I can imagine the Furies dislike needing the gift, but finding it necessary. And it just shows you that how the world is that sometimes... Yeah, you're going to have to look like a man because obviously it was a, a man's world back then. There were, yeah. there were there were very, very few places where men couldn't go. I mean, you, you would you might be kept out of a nunnery, whereas there were very, very few. <laughs> uh, there were a lot of places where women couldn't go. Um, some of the gifts, I, yeah. they, they seem quite weak. Uh, there's Master of Fire, which turns fire from aggravated to bashing for a scene. It can be useful, you know, if, if you get into a fire, but... Garou can already soak aggravated dam whose damage with stamina, and it costs a point of gnosis, which is one of the scarcer uh, resources, and there's also one called Smell of Man, which causes all wild animals to lose a die from all dice pools when they're near the guru. and domesticated animals refuse to attack them. And, I mean, it, this is more useful in the medieval setting than the gift is in modern times, because you're more likely mm. to encounter animals. But still, I mean, how effective... Is it that wild animals lose one die from their dice pools, given how powerful Guru are anyway? It, yeah, it, it it doesn't seem yes. worth the gift uh, to take it. Uh, but one that I absolutely love is one that can be gained by the waters of men. In modern times, they have a gift called jam technology, which is obviously extremely useful in, in modern times. Here, they instead have one called artisan's command, which allows them to control technology things like door bolts levers winches and the like so it it it's a good substitute because they they go from being able to jam technology which is all around to being able to control technology which is still at a a very early stage i mean you you won't with this one, be able to control a wall, but because that's not advanced technology, but you can still have some some interesting uh, effects by using this one.
1: Yeah, and and of course it's it's useful until you get the false comfort where you can just ignore the, the technology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, but are the are the gifts? I, I assume they kind of change to the modern setting because, as we mentioned, some would be incredibly yeah. Hard. Um,
0: there are a lot of gifts that I recognize. There are some gifts that are here. But not in the modern times there are gifts that are in modern times but not here and there are some gifts they've changed like jam technology into artisan's command uh, and i think in general they've done a, a good job but like you point out sense silver in in modern times sense silver is very very useful because other than jewelry people generally don't carry around silver so it's a good way to figure out okay we're in a tense situation are, are potential enemies armed with silver or stuff like that? Yeah. But like you said in, in, in this time, yeah, if you see some knights making your way towards your cairn, your holy place, you can use sense silver to figure out, do they know something? But if you use it in the middle of a city, then you're going to detect every merchant in that city.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and even the, the knights approaching your camp, the odds of them wearing a silver uh, piece of jewelry or or just carrying coins with them would probably throw it off. So I, I'm i assuming that if, um, or, or at least if, if I was the storyteller, I would probably be kind of nice to see, like, yeah, if, if it's a holy weapon of uh, doom-slaying werewolves, then I would allow that to, to have a, a bigger ping uh, compared to if it's just <laughs> a few coins in a purse, because... Otherwise, that 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 gift is just going to be really annoying uh, towards the, the player, yeah. uh, and to the player characters. So, so you want to, You probably want it to be actually. Yeah, useful. this is
0: one of the, the cases where understanding the Middle Ages is quite useful, and, and you can yeah. sort of design powers around that. But because today, for example, wedding rings are commonly made of um, of gold day. Mm. My wife and I are are probably quite rare in having silver wedding rings. Gold has become much more available uh, in modern times. But back then, silver was uh, the thing. It was the most popular for jewelry, except if you were very, very rich, because then you wanted to show off the gold that you had. But you're right. For example, your average knight, if you wanted... A bit of jewelry to show off then silver was the way to go silver coins as you said were quite popular so silver were much more present at that time, than they are in yeah. mod- than it is in modern times. Mm. We then move on to rites, and these have always been a favorite of mine, as they show the spiritual side of the guru and help highlight guru society. I love that there are a number of rites that don't have what one might consider an immediate beneficiary effect, but they st- are still needed to maintain guru society and and show how it how it runs. And I also love the minor rites; they give a tiny bonus if the guru maintains a specific ritualistic behavior so it shows their you might call religion you might call their spiritual approach but i just think rights are are a really great part of um, of the system
1: yeah i again there there are so many of them so it it probably takes a while to to get a hang of them or, or to see them but but yeah i like as, as you mentioned some of them are are just a, a thing you do uh, and it could be like even in setting, it's a very simple, like you do a short prayer to your prey or or to to uh, to improve the chances if you hunt and stuff like that. And and this goes like if if we look at at medieval society, like prayers and and rites and stuff like that were a big yeah. thing of uh, in in society. Um, even today, we have if if you go to. Uh, at least in Sweden, and I assume in in most part of uh, of, of Christian society, uh, no matter if they're Protestant or Catholic, if you go into a church, you can light a candle to uh, for either to to remember someone or uh, like for something like light light a candle for the poor children mm, yeah. or whatever. That that's a right, uh, and and like. Um, Giving giving alms to the poor or giving uh, what you call it when you give uh, money in church that's that's a right uh, like every like Christianity is full of right from from the baptism to weddings to to burials uh, so so yeah it, it makes sense that a very spiritual um, breed is is that the right word or, or <laughs> yeah uh, people or I I don't really know what to call them. Uh, like like the guru would also have their own rights and and be and and in, incorporate them in in their
0: society. Yeah, and as a role player, just take a look at, at whatever rituals people have around their dice, because a lot of role players uh, yeah. will have will have sort sort of ritualistic behavior concerning dice. Yeah, the the fact that you can buy
1: dice um, trays that include a dice jail for <laughs> for the the dice that misbehave, like, come on! If modern people are in many ways a lot more enlightened than than we were a, hundred, a few hundred years ago, but in at the same time we, we're a very suspicious or superstitious lot. Uh, I meant to say. Um, there, there are also some some rights that I, I really like. That, uh, for example, the uh, the right of let's just see it. So I uh, uh, yeah, the right of the winter wind. You have seasonal rights, mm. so you you do them on different times, and and it's basically uh, what what you do is, is you, uh, you you basically bring back uh, the sun. Uh, you're supposed to do it in uh, at the shortest day of the year. And, and you get around a bonfire and then you play around with fire and that's supposed to uh, to to bring back uh, the sun uh, and and you, we had rites like that you had in in the uh, vi- Viking pagan uh, society you had the midwinter yeah. uh, blute where where you kind of sacrificed to get the sun back and you you had similar things in in other uh, societies and religions so. Uh, and, and just the fact playing around with fire to kind of light up the darkness is very much a medieval thing to do, and it went on like you have you had bonfires, um, and and it kind of changes a bit from place to place at what time of year you had it, but but the whole thing of of playing with bonfires to light up the darkness mm. is a huge thing. So so yeah, it's you can see little bits and pieces here and there where where the real world, so to speak, kind of shines through, pun intended, <laughs> uh, which, which I really like, actually. Yeah,
0: and the rights are amazing if you use them <laughs> right to uh, to engender <sighs> in, in role-playing because in the longest-running werewolf campaign I've ever been a player in my character at one point broke the rules of the Sept and so he was punished with a right of punishment. And the game technical effect was that I lost some renown But that was just a minor thing because just the effects of of me and my character role uh, being role played was it was really really hardcore i can't remember exactly what the right is called maybe i think it's called right of ostracism or something like that but it basically means that for i think it's an entire month uh, or an entire moon nobody in the set will talk to you and the character that Mm. i was playing was incredibly social like he he was specifically he suffered penalties if he was not acting with his with a group, and for him to be ostracized like that, it was really horrifying for him. And and the right just helped to uh, enforce this punishment and to show just how severe his um, his transgression was. So I think rights are something that can really help you create an interesting three-dimensional society for the werewolves
1: yeah and a lot of these things are probably things you could just role role play just between between you and your fellow players and the storyteller but the fact that they they thought this through and they put up not only suggestions or, or ideas for the rights but they actually have some kind of mechanical effects is is a very nice thing to do because it kind of it kind of shows that your your action your actions have consequences and and they also show you not just telling you that yeah your actions have consequences but they actually show you exactly what those consequences are like for example losing renown or not being able to um well, yawn yeah, honor whatever or but but also not being able to to talk with the rest of of the sept uh, with all the consequences that that will will bring you so so yeah it's it's a very cool system and i think
0: it's it's very nicely done. Yeah. chapter five deals with the umbra the spirit realm and the spirits of that realm, as well as the cairns of the guru uh, the information on the umbra is short and since i have always found the spirit world a bit confusing i would have liked to have gotten some more information uh, but not just because of that since this is a time of greater purity I think that the Umbra would probably play a bigger role in a Dark Ages game of werewolf than in a modern age game of werewolf. So I think they could have spent some more time here, especially since the modern-day sourcebooks won't cover the differences between the modern-day Umbra and the medieval world. There's also the description of the various realms that exist deeper in the spirit world. I like these. These are... Well, you, a lot of them kind of feels like sort of alternate, almost fantasy-like worlds. But there's no mention of any spirit realm corresponding to hu- human religious beliefs, especially Abrahamic, Abrahamic beliefs. And it seems at odds with the strong Abrahamic tone put forth in Vampire Inquisitor and the general Christian and Muslim dominance of the world in which this is, is set. So it feels like there ought to have been mention of realms that corresponds to this belief. But maybe that—I mean—that's just my attitude towards it. But in general, you know, I would have liked more information on the Umbra because I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, I—I I really liked Umbra
1: uh, in 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 many different ways. Or I I, I have so many thoughts about it because uh, to to respond to what you said about the the kind of uh, Abrahamic, Abrahamic um, places or, or realms that would be. I, I think you could say that that's it's it's a different uh, it, it's a different thing from the realms of the Umbra like like you like it's it's something um, since the umbra is supposed to be at least as I understand it, and it might be completely wrong. Uh, it's supposed to be something natural and something that that is there uh, whereas the heaven and hell of Christianity, for example, is something. That we as human has uh, humans have created for ourselves. Uh, I, I don't know if, if it's supposed to be that way. That it's it's something different. That you can't like come on, you can't cheat and go mm. to heaven just by by sneaking through the the spirit realm, so to speak. You a- actually have to to be a good Christian and die to to come to heaven. Mm. Uh, but but at the same time, like it would be really kind of cool to 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 have an adventure where you run through heaven or, or where you go through hell, uh, especially considering how much folklore there are. There aren't that much about people going to heaven, uh, but there are quite a few, like Dante's Inferno, for fuck's sake. It's it's the most uh, famous one of someone going to hell and, and adventuring through that. Um, but but yeah, I, I find the whole idea of, of a spiritual realm, or the Umbra, uh, rather interesting because... It, for at least for me, it it doesn't feel very world of darkness uh, if if because like for me the world of darkness is supposed to be a reflection on our world, and or, but but a darker one. It's it's more gothic. It's more personal horror. And and for me, running around on spirit quests and and like chasing spirits, that that doesn't sound very gothic personal individual horror. Uh, I, I still really like it, but it's for me it kind of shows that that werewolf is a very different game from Vampire. Uh, and yeah they, I'm they, not they, sure um, if they if they always they, mix or- sorry,
0: uh, they always presented werewolf as a game of savage horror rather than gothic horror so I I, I think you know they're, they're trying to make a reflection of of a mishmash of human beliefs about a spirit world. At least, at least that's the way I always thought that that the Umbra was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, but but again, it doesn't feel very well of darkness to mm. me, and and it's and not in a bad way because you have some really cool stories. If if you go go to one of my favorite subjects, which is Greek mythology, you have so many heroes <laughs> who literally travel the the spirit realm and go to the go to Hades or other places, and they party around with with dead people. Uh, with other dead heroes, which uh, and and then they go back to the le- realm of the living, and and I'm thinking that uh, like isn't it Odysseus who goes on one of his quests? He he goes to uh, to Hades yes. where he actually meets some of the other like the really cool Greek heroes of of from his from even his point of view the heroes of antiquity, uh, and then he likes parties, parties around with them for a while, and then he goes back to the world of the living. And that to me sounds like a really werewolf thing to do. Like you you go on a spirit quest and then you meet the heroes of your tribe from uh, from an ancient time and you get some advice or perhaps you get um, an item from them or something and then you go back to the realm. So I I completely think it it fits the the setting of werewolf, but I'm having a bit of a hard time... Uh, getting it to fit with the whole world of darkness. Yeah. Uh, it it feels a bit more like I don't know Planescape <laughs> if if you're familiar oh, with yeah. that uh, D D setting or or in some ways even Spelljammer, uh, which isn't again it's not a bad thing, uh, but I yeah it, it's just a different thing, um, and and also I I do agree that I would love to see more just more stuff about it and like ideas on how you can travel and what you can encounter. Uh, like i don't know a, a random encounter chart for for like the the the, the realm of of uh, uh, the desert of decay for example <laughs> which is just a really cool name or yeah. um, so so yeah you you have a lot of really cool things that you mm. can play around with in well, down it's
0: kind of funny you mentioned that going into the umbra and an Umbra and realm and, and trying to talk to your ancestors because we did exactly that when we were playing the um the aforementioned uh, werewolf campaign, so uh, so yeah, that is that is a thing that you can do. Mm. So the section on cairns is nothing new for anyone who knows Werewolf, and it seems pretty well explained to me. Uh, here you can definitely use modern sourcebooks as well if you want to know more. So for me, there's no real comments here because it was all information that I already knew. Yeah, I I wasn't that familiar with it. I've I only played
1: very little Werewolf, and that was the modern setting, and I can't even remember <laughs> if if we had. If we did anything with cairns, but, but yeah, it's it's some very nice uh, advice and and rules and stuff and, on how to build your cairn. So uh, it it feels um, it it makes sense, uh, which is a favorite saying of mine, and uh, it, it's it's useful, which is another favorite saying of mine. Uh, but but yeah, it, if if you're going to build a cairn from the ground up. Uh, you it's yeah you could probably just translate this into IKEA uh, pictorial instructions <laughs> and it would work it, that's how good it is on on giving you advice on <laughs> on how to build something so uh, so yeah and and I do like the idea of uh, werewolf having basically their territory and I, I think there is isn't it one of the rights where you basically mark your territory yeah. uh, as well? I, I think it's kind of funny that they, they don't specify how you mark your territory and I guess it would differ from from, uh, from tribe to tribe but I can't shake the, the image of a bunch of like really proud silver fangs or shadow lords just going around and, and peeing on stuff uh, to, to mark their territory. Uh, And and to appease the spirits,
0: of course. And again, going back to the campaign that I played, you can get some really, really cool play out of really focusing on a cairn. It's, mm. it one, it's one of the things that really ties it all together. We end the chapter with a description of the spirits of werewolves, starting with the almighty Gaia and the triad of the wild, the weaver and the worm, all the way down to the minor spirits that the guru usually interact with. We get some more spirit powers, which is nice, and I don't really have any more comments on this part. You know, it's what's needed for a game with that much spirits and spirituality.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. There there are some... Uh, I, I, I like that they actually go through the different spirits and and show you what they have, uh, and that yeah they, they give you rules and stuff for it, which which is useful. Uh, and and then uh, yeah, it, it like I, I do like some of the mechanics, like for example that that the, the spirits the spirits have essence, which I guess is is their kind of blood pool yeah. or or power source. Uh, and that when you uh, when they run out of essence, they they go into uh, in, into a, a slumber, uh, which and and again like sleeping spirits and and the idea of of waking the spirits of the land, like you have that in in Arthurian myths, you have that in um, in in a lot of other folklore and and myths like that, and and in some cases you have to be careful so you don't wake the spirits because then they're gonna be mad or. Mm. Or that you um, you have to wake them to warn them. Like for example, if um, in uh, in Swedish folklore, and I assume it's it's similar in Denmark, there are many examples like where if you're if you're throwing out um, hot water uh, because you've been doing some laundry or something, then you're supposed to. To warn the spirits so that you don't scold them because then then they're gonna uh, get revenge on you by burning down your house with your children in them because if you burn the spirits then they're gonna burn you and stuff like that uh, so so yeah it's it's a lot of things that that go um, that go hand in hand with uh, w- with actual mythology um, they they've borrowed from all over the place like with with the Gaelic spirits and the uh, you have the the uh, spirit of of the Pegasus, mm. I think it is, yeah. which of course is uh, harkens back to Greek mythology. Um, so so yeah, it's
0: it's a it's a fun system. <laughs> it is. Moving on to chapter six, this details the enemies of the Guru, including vampires, mages, and the Inquisition, black spiral dancers, and so on, um, as well as giving a brief overview of the other Pharaoh or shape changers. Starting with the enemies, I have four comments. (laughs) The first is about the Black Spiral Dancers, and it's simply that their totem is mentioned to be Whippoorwill, which is a bird that's native to North America. Mm. I went online, I checked, I can't find any indication that the Whippoorwill is anything other than a bird native to Eastern North America. So, um, And of course, in modern times, since werewolf is a game spread out all over the world you can have this as the totem but i'm kind of wondering how that happened
1: yeah and and you could kind of give them like a saving throw and say that well the the black spiral dancers have their weird tunnels all through the world so maybe they went to to the americas and find a whippoorwill and then they brought it back but but yeah it's it's most likely just a silly mistake yeah uh, but but yeah it, it is a
0: silly mistake second thing i want to say is the uh, are an enemy called the skull pigs, which are the corrupted remnants of the Wereboars. Yeah. And for some reason, I just love these things. I can't explain why. I just think they're they're coolest enemies. Something yeah. about them just appeals to me. It's just a small comment there, but I, I think they're fun.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I was going to mention them as well because uh, I again going back to Greek uh, mythology, which which I really like. Uh, you have the I think it's the fourth labor of of Hercules. Where he's supposed to, and excuse my pronunciation, he's supposed to to catch the Erimanthian uh, boar, which is this giant boar that is running around the uh, Greek countryside, um, pestering people and and uh, yeah, being being an annoyance in general. And and I think that. It in in game it that could probably be a a, a skull pig or, or it would make sense that that kind of story um, that that a skull pig would be the the basis for the story of of Hercules because uh, I don't know perhaps Hercules is a kinfolk and that's why he's so big and strong and that's why he was the only one who could uh, defeat this um, or or just again as a, as an inspiration for. Um, for for how if if you want to find ways to connect real life myths and stories with the stories of the world of darkness for me this would be an yeah. obvious example uh
0: so third third thing i wanted to say is uh, inquisitors they're only sparsely mentioned and there are no rules i mentioned that in the last chapter we did there are no rules on how true faith interacts with a guru, it seems to assume that if you want to use people with true faith as enemies, you will have Dark Ages Inquisitor, which I think is not the way I would want to go because it's a whole nother book and it's a lot just to use them as enemies. I would have liked to have had a sidebar stating how true faith interacts with werewolves, much like you have rules in the um, vampire book on how true faith interacts with vampires. Because in Darkest Inquisitor, yes, you have a lot of rules on how their powers would affect a werewolf, but it's a lot to buy just to have them as enemies.
1: I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm probably going to go into more details with this in in the wrap-up, but again, this is one of the things that makes me think that uh, this, uh, or, or most of the different games, works almost better as uh, as a completely different game yeah. Uh, Than then if you try to mix them all together because there are so many things that you have to um, th- that you have to take into account if you want them to have like if if you have one setting but the werewolf follow the werewolf rules and the vampire follow the vampire rules in in some ways I think it's almost easier like if uh, like like you mentioned that that yeah if if I'm playing vampire then then everyone is going to use the the vampire setting rule, so to speak, instead of me going to have to, like, okay, now there's a vampire um, interacting with an Inquisitor. How do they work? I need to go to check the Inquisitor book. But now there's a, a vampire who has dominated a werewolf to attack the Inquisitor. How does that yeah. work?
0: It's it's a bit much. It is. As for vampires, this is kind of a philosophical things thing that I got thinking about. <laughs> Vampires are said to be corrupted by the worm and can be detected and affected by gifts and rights that target worm creatures, but the worm is the force of destruction. I would think that vampires would be more weaver since they are static and don't change. Uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with this book. It was just a, a stray thought that I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point, actually. Um, but but we were
1: supposed to be creating stuff. So so, and and again, this kind of goes uh, with with other things that we mentioned in in that kind of similar to how the the heaven and hell of Christian uh, mythology is separate from the the realms of the Umbra. It feels that uh, it feel, it feels that vampires are completely separate from the trinity of wild uh, weaver and worm. Uh, and of course, I can see why why they have to be corrupted by worm from from like a uh, a storytelling uh, aspect of this game, where you have the 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 war basically between werewolves and uh, and vampires. Yeah. But but yeah, I completely uh, get your point, and and I'll I'll buy that for a dollar <laughs> because it, it does make sense, and it's it's an interesting uh, caveat to, to yeah, mention. Yeah, one
0: one funny thing in uh, modern day werewolf is that when you get to the red talents and their opinions on vampires, their opinion tend to be they live in cities where we don't want to go. They prey on humans, so you know they kill and humans, and they they make humans suffer why should we have a problem with them? Which is kind of yeah. a fun a fun uh, approach to it, but obviously because they are said to be worm-tainted, then they are yeah. the enemy. Uh, the section on yeah. other fera or other shape-changers is very short, and it gives us only minor information about them, specifically about the ones that can be found in Europe and the surrounding area. I understand why they kept it short, and you can always use modern-day material combined with this book if you want to include... The fairer and dark ages werewolf. If you want to incu- include where cats and where spiders and where ravens, whatever, you can always grab other books, or you can ignore them if you want to do that. So, so a short mention because they exist, but that was really all that was needed.
1: Yeah, and uh, <laughs> the the shorter the better, I think, or <laughs> at least, but, but we 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 keep on coming back, and for a very good reason to the whole idea of of basically everything in the world of darkness is supernatural and in. In one way or the other. Because I, I can understand like where bears because it's a thing, and I mentioned it in the previous episode yeah. where you had the, um, uh, the Sami shape uh, shapeshifting into or the myth of Sami people changing into to bears. And and you also have um where ravens is a thing. But like where sharks <laughs> do, do we really do we really need them? Like, how how often are they going to be important enough to a story to warrant them being their own kind of breed of people? Like, I, I I'm struggling, and perhaps it's just because that I haven't played werewolf enough. So, if any of the listeners uh, think I'm wrong, please correct me. But. I was thinking of the and it the same goes for the same point goes for most of the, the other work but like in what situation do you need an actual were shark where a a spirit a, a shark spirit can't fill the same role
0: Yeah I totally agree they are one of the weirder choices for uh, were creatures I believe that there might in um certain maybe polynesian or other islander myths be people that can turn into sharks but it's it's not something that i think should be in a eurocentric game or a game like this
1: yeah and and are those really where people in in the sense of of werewolf or are they more like fate shape changers or perhaps mage or perhaps spirits themselves i don't know yeah uh, so,
0: yeah. Moving on to chapter seven, this is storytelling, and it is like all other storytelling chapters. You have things like mood and theme, ideas for plot, uh, and then you also have an example, Cairn and Sept, which we will get to later. One thing that I found mm. really odd was one of the suggested moods. Sadness and despair, where they then go on to say that this is not a great time for the guru because there is a lot of war and there's a lot of illness. But I fail to see how humans going to war and dying of illness is a cause for sadness and despair among the guru. I'll get into it later, but while the medieval period isn't the guru paradise, it is still a pretty good time for them. There are some plot suggestions and stuff, but I would like to come back to this one for our final thoughts. So I would like to hear from you about uh, this section of the chapter.
1: Well, First of all they they introduce the chapter by quoting Yeats uh, in the second coming and what rough beef beast <laughs> it's our come round at last slouches towards bethlehem to be born and we we've been talking about the kind of the cheesiness of of the entire setting every once in a while and and this is the kind of cheese that i like because of of course you have to have a, a like a, a cool quote uh, on the beginning of your chapter and and so far th- this is the coolest one uh i don't know if if that beast has anything to do with werewolves but it's a cool quote uh <laughs> but but over, overall i i like the the uh, the chapter I, I kind of agree that, that sadness and despair um it it might be i don't know if if it's the kinfolk and the human relatives of uh, of werewolves that died and yeah that's probably sad uh but I, I don't know if, if it would make an, an interesting mood for for a game just sitting around brooding. Um, but, but otherwise, yeah, I, I do like a lot of the kind of again, the, the kind of storytelling and role-playing advices that you get that that uh, like of course since um, since werewolves are combat monsters basically, yeah. uh they then combat is probably going to be uh, quite a large part of of your game at least compared to to vampire which is more about intrigue and, and plotting uh, and and so they they do take the time to like yeah when when you're fighting make sure that it's a cool fight it's not just I'm gonna take my big sword and I'm gonna hit the thing with the thing but it's it's more like yeah uh, e- even you as a player, uh, do something cool about it, like yeah, I see my comrade fall, so I'll step over their uh, their body to protect them with mine, and I will raise my shield, and then I will I will stab the thing with my silver sword and cry out to Gaia, stuff like that. Yeah. It it makes for a lot of a lot more interesting
0: game gameplay, and and it's just cool in general. Yeah, this is really is a game where in in vampire combat is more likely to be a desperate struggle where you are constantly. Worried about your own life because this is one of the things where you might actually Mm. die illness and old age isn't going to get you but this might whereas this is more savage and heroic where you can really do some serious stuff because as you said they are werewolves are combat monsters and the the amount of dice pools you can throw around you can do some amazing stuff and I I have seen that done and done that in various games. Yeah. The end of this chapter has a sample Karen and SEPT, and it is a multi-tribal sept that is set up so that you can have almost all tribes in one group. The sept specifically does not allow Shadow Lords, but otherwise, and it's it's a classic, okay, maybe you have a group where people want to play a lot of different tribes. Here's a way you can do that. Um, yeah, I don't like this example. I think they could have spent the page count on other things. There are a number of things that don't sit right with me, starting with the fact that the text specifically mentions that other multi-tribal septs are two or at most three tribes, and they tend to fail rather quickly. Now, I know a storyteller can always ignore the text, but still, it's a bit annoying to have the official text basically say, if you want a multi-tribal sept, then this one that we've written is the only one you can have. There's also a very, very strong focus on vampires, and in general, it feels like not just this example setting, but the entire book sets up the guru as antagonists to vampires, rather than being... Their own thing, yeah. And also, I will say that this canon sept setting, it doesn't really grab me all that much. It didn't feel like, oh, this is interesting. I can do a lot of stuff with it. It it just felt a bit. We have to have a multi-tribal sept, so now we are going to force a square peg into a round hole. If you understand what I mean. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I I didn't look at it the same way. Probably because I'm not familiar enough with. uh with the setting mm. and and the whole I haven't really played it so so it, it didn't bother me in that way but but in the same time like it it really didn't do that much to me like or for me it's it's like yeah okay it's it's a sept and it has there there are some plot uh, plot devices that you can use and there are some uh, like ways to incorporate the player character and stuff like that which like yeah okay that that makes sense uh, but yeah, the the again the like the thing that caught me and and it's probably a thing I'm gonna come back to as well is again the the kind of focus on on the struggle between vampires and werewolves because like I'm not even sure that I would want vampires in a game of of, of werewolves if I play it it's it's it feels like you kind of have to like vampire was the was the thing of, of the well of darkness so it, it almost feels like you're contractually obligated to bring them yeah. in in every setting just because like yeah make sure there's a vampire in there
0: because vampire cells sell. vampire yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and yeah it it it's it's like the, i would prefer just to have them they call them leeches just have vampires who have a, a sort of very very basic i i don't know what to call maybe basic stats just they're not the vampires of, of vampire the masquerade they are they're they're just evil vampires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and
1: this is a thing that and we've mentioned it kind of previously as well, because the the thing is that uh, like one on one, uh, and and in like even even with better odds, like like a werewolf would just tear through most vampires, yeah. like they in in Vampire the Masquerade the the vampires that can actually kill werewolves are they are are terris- terrifying uh, respected monsters because like holy motherfuck that that guy can actually or girl uh, or or lady or or queen probably <laughs> like they can actually they can go toe to toe with with a werewolf and survive yeah uh, in in this game and and again this this Probably has to do because we know how comparatively weak vampires are in their own system compared to how strong werewolves are in their own system. So uh, I, I agree with you that rather rather than having vampire demasquerade vampires in werewolf, they should just have like... I can see that the, the blood-sucking undead would make a cool uh, enemy to to the very much alive werewolves. But make them their own monster in in this setting, yeah. Like like the yeah you have uh, you have a vampire lord. Like think of of how uh, Count Dracula in in the actual book of of like you have you have the vampire, mm. and that's him. Uh, and it's the same in the Nosferatu movie, which is pretty much a. a <laughs> Uh, for copyright reasons, change enough rip-off of of Bram Stoker's Dracula, (laughs) then you have uh, Count Orlok, who is the vampire. And yeah, they have their minions and stuff like that, but but rather than having just the one... um, Rather than having a bunch of vampires sneaking around that for some reason they are a threat to these horrible, terrifying, awesome combat monsters... uh, Which doesn't really make sense because we know how weak they are. Instead, you can have this kind of terrifying other,
0: this undead menace as an enemy. To me, that would be a lot more cool. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing when you're playing Vampire. In general, I prefer in Vampire to have werewolves not have tribes and auspices and everything. Mm. No, they are dupines. They are the reason why it's dangerous for vampires to go outside the city because they live there yeah. and they're terrifying combat monsters. Uh, I will put in a caveat where because I'm currently a player in a game that my wife is running where we are dealing with shadow lords as vampires. But mm. there is a very good reason for that and it works in that setting. But in general, I don't want to make it like that, and I understand that you know these books were very much published with the idea of crossover, and I'm yeah. sure that people can make it work. It's just not for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, hashtag not all lupines, but <laughs> but yeah, I, I completely get your point, and uh, and and it goes back to what we've been talking about in the Inquisition book, in that in a modern setting, you you can have equalizers in the form of of high explosives and large caliber automatic weapons with silver ammunition. If it, yeah, for example, uh, or, or just blowing shit up <laughs> like and so the humans can actually have a chance against a werewolf. But again in in this setting, yeah, where all the players you have a player group so from I don't know 3 to to 5 or 6 werewolves and like, even even if you're not playing a, like, even if you play a healer um, stereotype or character, you will still be able to just soak up so much damage, you will be able to deal so much damage, you can heal yourself and just regenerate, so, yeah, it's... I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I dislike it, but I, just as you kind of prefer to, to keep them separate, I do as well.
0: Yeah, you touch upon a really interesting point here because in modern times, it's always been, yeah, modern technology is an equalizer because you have things like automatic rifles with silver ammunition. You have things like Pentex, the big evil corporation, specifically developing perverted technology <coughs> to target werewolves. But if you look at the stats and the rules as presented. Yeah. A beginning pack of werewolves, let's say four werewolves, created 100% of starting characters versus a group of, let's say, 10 battle-hardened knights plus their followers. I'd be surprised if any of the werewolves are, will, will have any lasting effect from that. They are going to tear through them. So yep. it's difficult to really present that much of a mortal challenge, and that ties into my overall thoughts about this, which I will get to in a little while. But we end with the appendix, which has fetishes, i.e. magical items. We have Mm. uh, a number of example spirits, and then we have the totems, which are Various powerful spirits that packs can bind themselves to, to gain some um, some benefits and also to tie them together as a pack. Um, I think they, I think they did a good job tailoring the fetishes to the setting, just as with the gifts. And overall, you know, I like the appendix, so I, I think it's it's a nice little uh, addition.
1: Yeah, it's it's a nice addition. Just just tying back just a small thing about uh, the gifts and and uh, werewolves being awesome combat monsters. Uh, and also how it changes in the modern setting. there's one of the gifts uh, I can't remember what it's what it's called, but it's uh, it specifically says that that iron can, cannot pierce uh, the werewolf's hide. Uh, and and if if you attack a werewolf and do eno- uh, enough damage, you will break your weapon. Uh, but the interesting thing is that it specifically says, uh, iron uh, and and modern bullets are made of lead and with, with a copper jacket, so th- that kind of sucks to the werewolf. If <laughs> like technology marches on, uh, yeah, and so they so have to change their
0: gifts as time progresses. Because yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It it kind of reminds me of the um, it's uh, uh, one of the seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where it says that this monster cannot be slain by. Yeah. Uh, by any weapon forged by man and they realized that well this was written like 800 years ago we have rocket launchers today and they just load the shit up uh, up of, of the monster yeah. so uh, but yeah b- back to the actual topic we we keep on getting sidetracked <laughs> i don't know why uh, but but i also like the the fetishes. they they are um i'm i'm actually kind of surprised that they managed to uh, keep them fairly balanced. There, aren't any ones that are like super powerful, or or uh, just can be, or at least not that I have found out that can be that, that aren't any one that can be exploited for for really weird uh, things. Uh, I do like that they are um, connected to to the different spirits. Mm, yeah. Uh, like for example, you you have. Um, and uh, like it's, it's a fetish that uh, allows you to, to stealth more, uh, or better rather, and uh, it's an owl feather, so it's an owl spirit that has been bound into that fetish. Uh, but then we have the, the Dionysian horn, which is uh, it's basically it's, it's a drinking horn, and any liquid, and it says specifically, any liquid poured into the Dionysian horn, becomes a potent wine, uh, but it's a grain spirit <laughs> that is bound into that fetish. Should have been and a grape spirit. <laughs> yeah, it should have been a grape spirit, and or or you could have like a well, you did, you hadn't started distilling alcohol in in large amounts, but again with the kind of stupid or not stupid, but but pointless mistakes. Like, come on, <laughs> it, you you don't make. You don't make make wine from grain. No, exactly. It, that would probably be a really terrible tasting wine. <laughs> uh, but, but overall, when it comes to fetishes, I um, I think I mentioned it last time. Otherwise, I am going to do it now. That there are a lot of stories about shapeshifters needing like a, be- a belt or yeah. or a pelt of, uh, of of a wolf to change into uh, a wolf. So, so that really makes sense. Or again, it it ties into. Uh, the real-world uh, myths and folk- folklore in a way that I really like. So, uh, yeah, overall, it's it's a really nice one,
0: mm. um, nice chapter. Yeah, it is time to judge this book, as it is about werewolves. It does not interact much with real human history, and I have no specific comments on real human history. I don't know if you do. I think we we covered a lot of it during our our look at the chapters?
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm going to m- mostly because I got a text message me- message from from my girlfriend mentioning that there are a few things that I should mention <laughs> uh, there are uh, nobody there are and I mentioned a few other things here that there, there are a few things that tie into not necessarily real world history, but r- real world mythology and lore mm. uh, like like for example, there's um, one thing that I, I was asked to mention specifically was that, um, that the story of the werewolf is that they run around on uh, on three legs because they don't have a tail, so they stick one of their hind legs out behind them oh. uh, to pretend that, that that's their tail. Uh, and I'm I'm thinking, like, in, in the real world, the reason, and I'm I, this is just me speculating, but I, I think that the reason that... That story came about might have been that um, if it's a, 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 a rabid wolf, or that they have the uh, scabies, which is a, um, a a disease that can cause the the fur to fall off um, fall off the animal, uh, and and even limbs perhaps. Or if if they're wounded, then it it could look like they're running on three legs, or or that. It looks like they don't have a tail, and uh, or if they're just injured. Uh, so again, it, it could tie into to real world stuff. Uh, but in in the world of darkness, then uh, the most of the uh, of the werewolves, at least from the illustrations, seems to have uh, seems to have tails. <laughs> but again, you could do something with that. You have the concept of battle scars. Uh, Like that, that can be. If I'm not mistaken, battle scars can both be kind of cool if you got them, then in a cool way, or they can be kind of an embarrassment. Which I think, like, if you lose your tail, that's probably quite a shame for uh, for a werewolf. So you would probably can try to do something to hide that, like running on three legs, for example, in in your wolf form. And, and there's another thing that uh, ties in quite nicely and it's uh, one of the gifts is called Eve's blessing uh, and it has to do with um, how uh, it, it basically has to deal with uh, you you can ease uh, childbearing yeah. and also childbirth uh, and and there's a story about uh, again how how a person can become a werewolf and uh, and it's it's quite misogynistic because it's it's said that if a woman uh, who fears fears the pains of childbirth, which they would do for for quite good reasons, mm. because dying was unfortunately a common side effect yeah. of, of 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 childbirth or just be becoming pregnant, what they would do uh, is that they would would um, crawl through. Uh, the embryonic sack of a horse, uh, and that would that would ease your birthing pains, but that could uh, cause the uh, the child to become a werewolf. Uh, so so it's it's not your fault that you're a werewolf, not for anything you've done, because but because your mother didn't want to die in childbirth. So yeah, nice nice <laughs> women blaming their guys, um, and and also the way to to cure that person from being uh, a werewolf would be to rip uh, the the embryo or the child from a pregnant uh, woman's uh, stomach or, or belly so again n- not a very nice story for for uh, women out there so yeah that's humanity kind of sucks in a way uh, but again it kind of ties ties back into... The gift of uh, of easing someone's childbirth, and that having a connection to uh, to, to werewolfism, uh, which I think is kind of cool. Um,
0: what was the question again? <laughs> I, I think it just was the general connection to to real human history. Yeah. But yeah. We we get sidetracks from time to time, uh, including yeah. in uh, in various myths and and stuff like that. Um, so let's take a look at it as a game book. Um, well, I will say that I'm generally a fan of Werewolf and I think that they designed them well for the Dark Ages, but I really don't know how I would run a Chronicle. A one-shot, a few games, short. Sure, but generally I have no idea what the Guru really do. Or, well, to put it another way... <laughs> If I were to follow the book, the guru fight each other over territory, they worry about vampires and cities, they try to find a way to end the Flaying Plague, and they fight the Circle of Red. So to me, it seems a chronicle would either be about finding a cure for the Flaying Plague or ending the Circle of Red, but I wouldn't know what to do for events in between the main goal. In the early 13th century, it it may or may not be the perfect time for the guru, but it's close to being perfect. Uh, and and i'm i'm having trouble seeing yeah. what could really challenge the guru as a whole except themselves and while fighting against other tribes for territory is an option that's really not what i want from my for my werewolf game i want them fighting the worm mainly and in modern times yeah. this is the big thing and since the modern world has so much pollution and technology and whatnot the guru are really challenged in this setting there's very little that can challenge them i don't want to go on a, on an extended rant here i might expand on my thoughts on this another mm-hmm. time but suffice to say i don't think the medieval setting really offered much for werewolf uh and for the guru to do i think this book kind of shows it yeah i think
1: i again I, I talked about it previously but again this doesn't really feel like a a world of darkness game where you kind of have the the struggle between the the wild and 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 the worm uh, but for me, it sounds like a really cool setting. If you want to do more, like I, I don't know, kind of, kind of like a a, a Conan the Barbarian esque kind of pulp adventure, where you go, like you have this 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 group, the the pack uh, of, um, well, not all warriors, but you have the different. You have like a galliard and you have a theurge and stuff like that, and you you have the different positions, mm. and then they go on cool epic quests. Uh, some in the real world, some in the Umbra, um, and they do it for the tribe, and they r- rise in renown, and they become this great heroes or legend. Uh, but as you mentioned, it, it doesn't really have that much to do with the historical setting. It's like, yeah, it's, it's the medieval werewolves, but you could just as easily have them in, in the Viking Age or in the uh in, in ancient Greek or or something like that. So so yeah I, I see your point and I see the problem. Uh and yeah I, I i would love to play a game of werewolf that is completely separate from the world of darkness or, or at least doesn't have the, the the strong connections to the mages and the uh vampire at least at least not the, the vampire the dark ages vampire, yeah. but you have the, the evil monsters that we talked about earlier i
0: think that would be a lot more interesting at least for me yeah i know that on the storytellers vault some people put out what looks to be a very very professionally made supplement called werewolf the savage age which is werewolf that takes place in a prehistoric age i haven't looked at it yet ah. but it it takes place like either in the the sort of like the the neolithic age or perhaps even before then so it is it, it looks like this is where you can really have these these almost sword and sorcery or swords and sandals, sword uh, and sandals. Yeah, yeah. Conan-like savage adventures. So that's something that I would the, like to take a look at at some point because it yeah, looks that, really, that really, really interesting. Really
1: cool. Yeah, if, if any of our listeners know about this or, or have read it, then please let us know what you think about it. Yeah, It sounds really cool. So
0: next time the moment I have been dreading since we started this podcast. We're going to be taking a look at Rite of Princes. Uh, This is going to hurt. Remember, (laughs) if you want to support the channel, we have a Patreon, and if you have comments, suggestions, or critique, pop by our Facebook page. And with that... Peter, do you have any last comments before we sign off? Well, as, as usual, I want to thank all our listeners.
1: And if uh, if you don't want to support us uh, via Patreon, we completely understand it. But it, it would be cool uh, because I've, I've heard from, from people that they aren't really interested in, in werewolf or, or vampire masquerade or in role-playing games. But they think it's interesting to hear... Uh, people talk about games and and history and mythology and stuff like that. So so uh, like please spread our podcasts. Perhaps you you have some friends who uh, don't care at all about uh, history, but they like uh, they like role playing games, or they they don't care about role playing games, but they would like to listen to a couple of of Scandinavian nerds uh, <laughs> talking about uh, history and mythology and going on weird tangents on. Uh, a lot of things uh, so uh, if yeah if you would like to do that then please please spread the podcast or uh, I, I here you can like review us on if if we're on like iTunes and stuff like that you can leave reviews and I, I would just love to think or, or to read what what people think about it or you can just do it on our Facebook page we we are quite friendly both of us uh, and and if you'd like a reply or a comment back, then then just let us know, and we'll do that. But uh, I, I would I would love to to if if we could spread the pod to people that aren't necessarily in the focus group, but would just love might might be interested, anyways. Uh, because I, I again I think it's really really cool that we have people who listen to us uh, and and enjoy us, and I think that perhaps more people would enjoy us. Uh, so uh, yeah Uh, you are all very awesome people yeah you are indeed
0: and so it is goodbye from me Jacob and from me Peter farewell and see you next time
1: bye